morning, Charged Up Studio listeners. This is Dana Olivo, your host. Uh, I'm also the CEO of Market Academy LLC. And we are joined this morning with a very special guest that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Just sit back and have some fun. So our guest today has been acting in film and television since he was six years old. And he's an accomplished film and stage performer a natural born entertainer. Throughout his career, he has developed a passion for helping others tap into their talent and confidently taking the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He's the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of the number one bestseller, The Power to Speak Naked. Please welcome to our stage, Mr. Tyler Foley. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. I'm, I'm looking forward to serving our small and micro business audience and, and doing whatever I can. Excellent. Excellent. You know, um, I've spoken numerous times uh, before different audiences, but I find that my natural speaking style goes to educating and imparting wisdom as opposed to motivation and delivering life changing secret sauce. Every time I have a chance to speak, I tend to get anxious well before the speech, like 24, 48 hours before. And then immediately afterwards, I am totally drained. Does that sound familiar? Uh, the, the last part does, the first part does not, but only because I've been public speaking for 35 years um, and very, very few times do I get anxious. Um, I actually didn't, I've, first was on stage at six years old and didn't actually experience stage fright for the first time until I was 14. But I do know um, there have been a few highlight points in my career where I have put a large emphasis perhaps on that show. And so I do know some of that dread and anxiety going into a thing. It doesn't happen often, but I do know it. And I recognize that it often comes from my own false um, narrative that I'm putting onto it. So I put uh, false expectations or maybe put too much emphasis onto a thing instead of realizing that it's, it's one more thing that I'm, I'm just doing the same thing that I've always done yeah. and coming up. But I do know the exhaustion at the end. And I think that that is probably the best sign that you have done your best and that you have served because that means that you have no more energy left to do anything else. <laughs> And I know when I get off stage, before I get on stage, I'm jazzed. I'm, I'm pumped. I've got energy. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. And I, you know, my blood is pumping and I'm warm and, and the stage lights hit me and I'm, I'm invigorated. And then as soon as I'm done and I've taken my bow, as soon as I walk off the stage and I step into the green room, the blood rushes from me, I start to tremble, and I'm freezing cold. And it takes, I I usually have to have a really hot shower just to warm up. And then I need to go to bed. I need to go to bed because I've given my all. And I thought it was just me. I call it, I call it sales fatigue is what I call it, you know, (laughs) because basically what it is, is you're on, you're on stage. When you're networking, when you're doing any of this, you're on stage. So you're constantly up. And then when it's all over, you think, okay, I can relax. Yes. And that's what happens. So I remember when I was a teenager, um, I guess I was about 15, 14, 15 years old. And uh, I participated in a beauty pageant. 
And, you know, one of those ones where you have the talent, you know, uh, portion where you're judged on, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So, well, my talent was to perform a song by Barbara Streisand called People. You know that song? Don't do, don't do anything halfway there. <laughs> Let's just go with Babs well, is, and, and hit it out the park. Me. That is my personality. I mean, I am big. <laughs> my dreams are big. The performance may not be, but the dreams are very big. Okay. Well, In fact, I the would dream say of that my as business. soon as you take on people, that's, that's a big, yes, that's yeah. a big go. So no, good on you for doing it. Yeah. Well, you say that, but the minute I got up there on stage, I froze. I forgot all the words. I forgot everything. I was totally humiliated. So where does this stage fright come from? Well, it's funny. You and I share a very similar experience. So I, again, have been on stage since I was six years old. Uh And when you're six, you don't have any fear. Anybody who's had a small child knows exactly what I'm talking about. Most of your first three or four years with a child is spent trying to stop them from doing the thing that is definitely going to injure them because they don't have a concept of what fear is. And they just, they go and they do the things and jump off the monkey bars. I remember when my daughter was um, just, just coming up a year old, she was 11 months old, could barely walk. And really was just crawling around. And I was doing dishes and taking them out of the dishwasher and putting them up in the cupboard. And the dishwasher was on the opposite space of the cupboard. And so I would turn around and put the dishes up. And I turn around, put the dishes up, turn back around. And my daughter, in the time that it had taken me to take a plate out of the dishwasher and put it in the cupboard and turn around, two and a half seconds, had scaled up the handles of the cupboards next to the dishwasher onto the island and did a Superman daddy, <laughs> catch. I know. Really. jumped at me and I was like, oh, because she yeah. had no fear. But the other thing is she had complete faith and trust in me that I would catch her. Exactly. And I thought that, that was a beautiful thing. But so to your story, when you were 15, I had a similar thing. I was, I'd been acting since I was six. So I had no fear of, I didn't understand the concept of stage fright because stage was a great place. It was a fun place. It was where play, people applauded you and, and looked up to you, literally looked up to you because they're right. sitting in an auditorium and you're I up know, on stage. exactly. And I was, I was enamored with it and I loved it. And subsequently, everybody would always make me do the presentations, right? If you had some kind of presentation at school or an assembly, I was the person who they'd ask to, to read the poem yeah. or give the talk or give the, give the speech or introduce people. Mm-hmm. And so I had been for uh, our Remembrance Day, your guys' Veterans Day, for mm-hmm. probably three or four or five years, uh, reading the poem uh, Flanders Fields. And I was going to do it again this time. But this at this assembly, they brought in a whole bunch of veterans. And about a whole bunch, I mean like five or six or seven from the local community. And this one man, they wheeled in and he was he was fully decorated, right? Like the... the uh, the whole chest full of medals and awards Uh and, and he had his hat on and he, they wheeled him in, in this wheelchair and he had a cane with him. And I'll never forget. He, he leaned forward on this cane and he looked at me with these piercing blue eyes. And in that moment I had everything in my head kind of go, who are you to be reading this poem? This man has seen the actual war that you like, he's, he's seen people die. Like he, you, you, what have you done in your 14 years, Tyler, to be uh, able to read this with any kind of conviction. And it, it left. 
Now, this is a poem that I had had memorized for four or five years, and it it was not there. Really gone. Yeah. And you know, I always talk, heard people talk about stage fright, and I'm like, how could you have a dry mouth and be spitting? How could you be freezing cold and sweating? Like, and this doesn't make sense. And then it happened to me, and I'm like, okay. You're right. I can't taste a thing in my mouth, but I have all this spit all of a sudden, but it's super dry. And why am I so hot? Why am I cold? Why am I sweating when I'm cold? Like it just, it was, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything. And what I realized later on, looking back on it with the ability and a little bit of age and maturity to reflect upon it, is that I wasn't afraid of public speaking. I was afraid of, of judgment. And in that moment, I was afraid of how this man was going to judge me and how he was going to perceive me. You're right. And, and it's actually a fear of judgment that we have. So for you, a particular, right? A beauty pageant? I know. It's not like you're being judged It wasn't that. beauty that I was being judged on. It was talent. <laughs> talent. And, but right. And how many judges? Three or five? Oh, gosh. I think there were like five of them. God, that was right. so many years ago, but still. <laughs> So, but you know what I mean? Because it's always yep. an odd number because you need to have a tiebreaker. And I've been, so the worst part is I've been on both sides of that. Not only did I used to get judged to doing dance competitions and speech competitions, but I also then for a period of time was uh, the guest celebrity judge <laughs> at ah. uh, the Penticton School of Dance when they used to hold their um, dance recital. And so I would, I would then judge people. And I remember thinking, how perverse is this? People go, you go out and you do your best, you give your absolute all, and then I have to weigh the, uh, the talent on that. And I, I even further on in my career, I've been uh, uh, in casting, I've, I've uh, produced a few productions after I got out of acting. And, and same thing, like I'm trying to put together a team and I'm, I'm t I, talent is such an immeasurable thing, right? right? We always hear, oh, somebody has an it factor. But how do you judge that? And what I realized is that it's not fair. It doesn't matter how much talent I have. Mm -hmm. I still may not be the right fit for the gig. And I've started understanding and recognizing fit. Yeah. Right? Like I, you and I are on a podcast right now. You felt that I was a good fit for your show. I think I'm a great fit for your show because I mm -hmm. love working with small businesses and micro businesses. I love everything that you're doing with the right. show. I love the guests that you have on the show. I love the passion that you bring forward to it. Uh, but... I, I probably apply to a hundred podcasts a month um, and I get rejected by easily half of them because they mm -hmm. don't feel that I'm a fit. Does that mean that I'm not a good guest? No. Does it no. mean that I don't have talent? No. no. Does it mean that I don't have something to offer? It's just you don't no. appeal to their audience probably or something like that, you know. Or as simple as I, they just, they can't see the fit right now. I may not appeal to the audience. I may not appeal to them or they may be scheduled out. Uh, the number of people that I said, oh, this is great, but I just had somebody else on who talked about the same thing, yeah. which is not unreasonable. Uh, what I talk about is not unique. How I deliver that material. How you is deliver unique. it is different. Right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, the delivery does speak a great deal to uh, podcast guests because especially when we're talking about public speaking, you want that excitement. You want that passion in there. You don't want somebody coming on talking about public speaking in, an, in a very droll monotone <laughs> language. So, And, and we've practice. all heard them. Huh? Right. I, I have been that person in the audience to a public speaking expert telling me how to present better going, you should take your own advice. <laughs> and I, I hope I'm not that hypocritical in, in my delivery, but you never know. And we all have our off days. And like right, I said, right. so I've learned to understand that fear of 
public speaking is actually nobody is afraid of public speaking. So that's, that's the first thing people need to understand. And I can hear the gears grinding in your audience's heads right now going, no, I am part of the 77% of Americans who identify as having a fear of public speaking. And so to everyone who just had that thought, I will ask you this. When was the last time you went to a restaurant? Did you order food? And did you know the waiter or waitress who was taking your order? Right. Because if you went to a restaurant and ordered food and did not know your waitstaff, you spoke in public, asked for what you wanted to a complete stranger, which means you do not have a fear of public speaking, nor do you have a fear for asking what it is that you want. What you have a fear of is judgment. And you don't feel that you were being judged by that waitstaff, which is hilarious yeah. because as somebody who has been in the service industry, let me tell you, the waitstaff looked at your order and went, <laughs> chicken and waffles, huh? <laughs> I wouldn't have ordered that. <laughs> but they went and they put your order in and you got your chicken and waffles or whatever it is that your little heart desired. Right. You weren't worried about the judgment, but when you're asked to present information, maybe your boss has said, could you please present at this board meeting this information that we need? And you go, oh, what if my colleagues know I'm a fraud? What if they know I'm a sham? What if, they, what if I forget? What if I don't know? What if my preparation, what if my presentation is boring? Yeah. And all of these things that we get wrapped up in our head that are just false narratives because it's not actually the case. Mm-hmm. If you were asked to do a thing, yeah. you're the authority. You obviously knew more than anybody else. They wouldn't have asked you to do it. They would have asked Joe down the hall. Yeah. And then there's reports out there that say that uh, the fear of public speaking outwins the fear of death. Yeah. (laughs) You heard that? Oh, yeah. It's Seinfeld's famous joke. That means that you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. And it's true. That's the worst part. It's true. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's, it's been falsely labeled. Right? You have so many people who believe they have self-diagnosed themselves as oh. having a fear of public speaking. And it's a, false, uh, it's, it's a false diagnosis. It'd be like me having heartburn and diagnosing myself with a heart attack. Right. right. So instead of taking Pepto-Bismol, I keep shocking my heart with a defibrillator. That isn't going to solve the problem. And I, of course, I'm works. going to avoid doing it because yeah. it hurts. Yeah where all I really need to do is take some Pepto-Bismol and calm my fear of judgment instead of my fear of public speaking. And then I'd be able to give a much more effective presentation and I wouldn't have all of this nervous energy. Well, and like you said, you know, um, passion has a lot to do with the comfort level. Okay. And when we talk about passion, when I talk about what I do, I find I can talk much more freely, but Behind a good speaker is a story. And how do you, how do you, what's the power of that story? It's, it's well, just so- like us. We can, we can relate because at 14 or something, we both experienced almost the same thing. Well, so I, I'm so glad that, first of all, you mentioned your story up front. Mm-hmm. Because that is the power of story. You said, I had this experience. I was instantly able to identify with that experience and say, I had the same experience at almost the same age. And now we have connection. We have commonality. And now you and I can discuss things from a similar point of view. 
Right. That is the power of story. When you tell me your story, I can see it from your point of view. I can get in your eyes, right? They say, never judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Right. Well, I can't actually walk in your shoes. Although I look great in heels. I assure you. Um, I, it, You've done it before, right? <laughs> yeah, I have done it before professionally for almost two years. But <laughs> I would I would have a difficult time like physically actually embodying you. But when you tell me your story, I can see the world through your eyes. I can understand your point of view. I can understand why your beliefs and values have been formed based on the language that you use. I may not agree with your stance, but I can empathize and sympathize with your point of view because I can see why your viewpoint has been created. Right. So, right, you were saying, I get terrified before speaking. And I can say, well, I don't actually, uh, I don't myself, but I understand where you're coming from. It has happened to me in the past, but I have found ways of getting over it. And then you can go, oh, it's happened to you in the past. You do understand what I'm talking about. Now I'm curious to know about this getting over it. And yeah. we have a dialogue. Right. That's exactly. the power of story. Because if you don't open up, if you're not vulnerable enough to say, look, I've been public speaking for forever myself, but I get nervous when I do it. If you can't tell me that, I can't help you. And that's the true power of story is that it binds us together. It finds commonality and it's where we solve problems. It's where we find connection within humanity by sharing stories. And we've been doing it for thousands of years. No, we have. We have. You know, and, and now what if one of my listeners were are sitting back there and they're saying, but my life is dull. I don't have a compelling story. What do you say to that? <laughs> I say I fully understand what you're talking about because I feel the same thing about me. I feel that I have led a very mundane, ordinary life. Re honest to God, if you were to talk to me, I would think I'm one of the most normal people on the planet. And everybody goes, uh, but Tyler, let's run, let's play an episode of This Is Your Life, Mr. Yeah, Foley. there you go. Your father passed away at six. You were a stage and film TV brat. You were a stage kid growing up from the age of six years old because your father passed away or likely in connection with his passing. Uh, you had a stroke at 17 that paralyzed the left side of your body. And it took you almost a year of physical therapy to get over that. At 25, you retired from acting after 20 year career mm -hmm. to then get into an engineering discipline to start up a few companies that collapsed to only then start a third company. And now you travel the world speaking and you have a number one best-selling book. And I go, oh, well, when you put it like that, it sounds kind of interesting. But for, to me, when I'm just, because I just live my life, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. my identity is mm -hmm. not Sean Tyler Foley, speaker, author. I am Tyler, husband to Jen, father to Mackenzie, and I'm a dad. Like when I'm done this, I'm going to go and pick up my daughter from kindergarten and we're going to go play in the backyard. Like that to me is my life. I see the, I see the routine and the mundane. Right. And so to any of your audience who's going, yeah, but look, you really actually have had an exciting life. I'm an accountant in Milwaukee. I go, that could be exciting. Yeah. And they go, how? And I will say, look, take your age, however old you are. In my case, I'm coming up on my 42nd birthday. So we'll call it 42 just because it's easy. 
take your life, divide it by five. So for me, 42 divided by five is eight with remainders. Anybody who remembers grade three math, right? You had, you divided it into even chunks and then you, you had the remainder. What you is the remainder? At the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're going to take the remainder and just tack it onto the first epoch that you've created. So for me, 42 is really 40 divided by five is eight plus the extra, the remainder two onto that eight is 10. So from zero to 10, what happened in my life? Well, my father passed away. It was a big and fairly significant event that happened in, in my life and has, has probably guided the trajectory of it there. So that was an event that happened. It was the big event. I guarantee you, if you look at what happened in your life, whether it's zero to five, zero to eight, zero to 10, zero to 15, however old you are, when you divide your life by five yeah. in that first time period, there was a significant something that happened. And if you're 100 years old, then it's zero to 20. It could be that the war happened. It could be that you graduated school. It could be that you didn't graduate school because at the time your peers weren't. Yeah. Something happened in that time period. It guaranteed at least one thing happened. So for me, it was the passing of my father. The second time period for me is 11 to, uh, we tack on eight to that, 18 right? 11 to 18. And for me, the next two, I had two very impactful, significant things happen to me. The first was the first time I openly grieved my father. I was in uh, an auditorium in the sixth grade elementary school. So it only goes to grade six. And I was then moving on to junior high. And I, I received an award for being the uh, top student of the school. And it was a great honor for me. And I was uh, I was excited to get it. And I remember walking from the back of the gymnasium because that's where the grade six students, the big kids sit. Yeah. And I walked along the edge and my mother was there because they had phoned her to say, no, Tyler's getting the award. Got to be here. And for some reason, the chair, it's a full, full gymnasium. Every, every seat was taken except for this one right beside my mom for some reason was empty. And I remember walking past it. And in that moment thinking, huh, my dad should probably be sitting there. And as soon as that thought hit me, I went into this whole scenario, realizing that my dad wasn't going to see me get this award. Mm -hmm. He wasn't going to see me graduate high school. He wasn't going to see me graduate university. He was never going to be there when I got married. He wasn't going to be able to walk my sister down the aisle. Uh, he wasn't going to see the birth of any grandchildren that he had. Like All of that flashed in front of my eyes, and I started to cry. And everybody thought that I was crying because I was happy for getting the award. But really, I was, it was the first time that I openly and publicly mourned wow. my father's passing. Wow. And so that was a very significant moment for me in realizing the finality of life and, and, and finally piecing it all together. And then at 17, I had a medical episode, uh, whether it was a stroke or a palsy, we still don't know, that paralyzed the left side of my body. That was a very significant time period for me yeah. because... If you anybody can see me now, they know that my body works just fine. I'm very animated, very, I can use both sides of it. My face works mostly good. Um, but it took a, a, a good solid eight to 12 months of dedicated physiotherapy and a lot, a lot of, of medical help in order to get that functionality back for me. And to this day, I still have a few telltale signs when I get really fatigued or run down where I have to be very conscious that it could happen again. And I have to keep really good care of myself. So that was a significant happening for me. And I can do that for every time period of my life, right. you know, and, and that's what I would tell all of your audience that, listen, it's not just me. Mm -hmm. 
It's not just you. Everyone who is hearing this right now, if you can hear this right now, you can do this story. Divide your life into five time periods and ask yourself, what is the most significant thing that happened in this time period? Right. And then just expand on that. There is a story. You have a story. I guarantee you something has happened, good or bad or both. Right. Right. No, definitely. You know, I, I understand totally what you're talking about, and especially when you start going through those major and, and you break it down like that. And you can really pull out. In fact, I, I um, co-authored a, a portion of a book and it was on public speaking. It was the fear of public speaking. And the title to the chapter that I was on in, I, I realized that my biggest concern with public speaking was not having it perfect. I titled it to my perfectionist self, shut up and sit down, <laughs> you know, yeah. because it took a while. I mean, even with the podcast, with, with recording and things like that, I always felt it had to be perfect. After a while, I said, look, nobody's perfect. You know, you get that. That's what editing is for. You know, that's what this is for. Stop worrying about it. So yeah, there's a lot to be learned, especially in the way that you relate uh, talk about the audience. How do you connect with the audience? How do you understand your audience? Oh, there are so many ways to do it. So one of the, uh, anybody who goes to my website, uh, we have a free download called the audience analysis tool. And I make that available. There's about a thousand different ways to get that to me. If you can't find it on the website, you just send me an email or you give me a call and I will get that to you. Um, it is there, first of all, you need to know who your audience is. So you need to start asking questions, whether that's to the organizer who's brought you there or your boss, right? Even if it's as simple as, as, a, as a sales presentation in, at your work and you need to, uh, and they, you've been asked or tasked with, uh, with presenting to the team. How, why? That's the first question asked. Why? Why me? And what do you need? What is the desired outcome of this? Because mm -hmm. that will help you start to understand how you need to approach that presentation. What is the desired outcome? What does the audience need to get from me? What is, what is the makeup of the audience? Um, and then you have to start asking some of those probing questions once you're there, right? Mm -hmm. A lot, the, there's a, a really interesting statistic that when it comes to audience engagement, 92% of the audience will be engaged if you're having a dialogue in that you, you are openly soliciting conversation with them and asking them information. That engagement drops to 78% if you're having a monologue where mm -hmm. you're just talking to them like I have now, just spewing information. Right. And that's, again, where the power of story comes in, where if you can weave a personal story, why this information is important to you, you'll start to uh, gain empathy from your audience. But then asking them, there is a power in this next question. You say, what does this information mean to you? Or how do you feel about that? Tell me what your thoughts are. You get the audience to start talking and giving you feedback. That helps you guide where, you, where your presentation is landing and what points aren't. And then you can know whether those points are important or not too. So you need to be able to be uh, very quick on your feet. Any good presenter is quick on their feet. I can tell a thousand stories a thousand different ways. And one of uh, my great mentors and, and, and just an incredible human being, and I'm blessed to get to work with him every once in a while, Les Brown, everybody knows him. Oh, I, um, he posted something this morning. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. been 
phenomenal. And mm-hmm. I, I am, again, very blessed to have worked with him uh, on stage a few times. And he, he says it better than anyone else. Never make a point without a story. Never tell a story without a point. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is so effective is because, again, story will bind us universally. But if we know the reason that we're telling the story, we can hammer in a point by using allegory to illustrate what, what it is that we're trying to convey. Right. And by soliciting stories from your audience, you are then able to get more information so that you can better tailor what part of your message you need. For, for your audience, being small and micro businesses, I don't need to go into a lot of my performing arts story. Right. What we need to focus in is how that performing arts helped me create my first couple of businesses, the lessons that I learned in those failures, and how this most recent venture that I have total buy-in has become a multi-umbrella <laughs> venture right. that right. has multiple divisions that kind of self-sustains itself. Like that's what, that's what your audience needs to know. And I only know that because you and I have taken the time yep. to have the conversation ahead of time. So now I know where my stories need to focus and yep. what we need to talk about. And, and then you and I having a dialogue. Yeah. And that's exactly it. You know, this business that you're in now, you know, what you're doing now has been born out of the lessons learned in the failures that you've had in the past. And it's the same thing with me. I've had two failed businesses myself. That's why I focus on micro businesses because I know and, and, and can relate to what they're going through. Okay. And so therefore by doing that, by knowing and relating to what they're going through, and wanting to help them avoid the mistakes that I've already made is why I do what I do, you know? So those lessons learned need to be seen for what they are and they're stepping stones. Yeah. And telling the story effectively and not being afraid to be vulnerable. The whole reason I wrote the book, The Power to Speak Naked was to empower people to say, hey, look, this happened and it wasn't ideal, but look at what came out of it. Because there's power in our stories. Yes. And we, we so often as human beings give our power away. We either diminish the, the, how that story is or like, and I'm guilty of it too. I've explained, I am guilty of it where I diminish my own self-worth or the impact that my story could have. Mm-hmm. And yet then I'll hop on a podcast and somebody says, well, tell me about this time. And I'm like, oh, you did your research. And I go in and, and then they go, that was, that was great. Our audience needed to hear that. And I forget that, that there's power in that story. And when we can open up and be vulnerable and, and expose ourselves to the raw naked truth, that's when we can have true impact yeah. by saying, look, I had two businesses screw up, but mm-hmm. I needed those lessons. Because now I've learned the value of having a team, the value of, of not overspending, the value of budgeting, the value of getting mentorship and reaching out and having a network of people who can support you. And then how to properly network. Right. I mean, like I just the lessons that I learned over five years, six years of how to actually effectively network and what networking meant. Right. And now I'm excited to share that information with people right. so that they can do it better. Exactly. You know, I, I have a... Uh, a similar story as far as like yours with the um, the possible stroke, you know, that type deal. And while I was down with, in Brazil, I was working internationally in Brazil for a while. And I happened to um, get hit by one of their rapid buses while I was crossing the street to my apartment. 
And there was a lot of lessons learned about myself during the recovery of that. And then the subsequent PST, uh, PTSD that I had when I got back to the States. But I didn't really talk about it. I didn't, because I was afraid of reliving it. And everything that I don't remember about it, I was afraid it was going to come back. And I was going to feel that, that hurt, you know, or that pain, you know, again. But after um, a few times telling people, you know, they said, no, this is your story. This is why you do what you do. You need to let people know this. And that was difficult for me to let go and be able to talk about that story. Now you find it on my website. You know, you find it everywhere because that is, that is a struggle. If you can get through stuff like this, like what you did when you were 17, you know, if you can get through that, come out on the other side, then that is not just a lesson learned. That's a life-altering situation. Mm-hmm. That's a pivot in your entire life. And that's what it was for me. So, no, very good, very good. So we're coming up on the end of our podcast here. And I want to keep going, Tyler. <laughs> it is so exciting. Um, well, you can always we, have me back. Any way I can serve I, you. I am going to have to. I'm going to have to. We're going to have to stay in touch, too. Mm-hmm. because I want to hear more about what's going on with you. But do me a favor. Tell my listeners, first of all, how they can find your book. Okay. And then secondly, how they can reach out to you. What's your website where they can download that um, audience analysis tool, et cetera. So the, to answer the second question first. Okay. Anybody who wants to reach out to me, any, any of my resources are available on seantylerfoley.com. So Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com, seantylerfoley.com, and they can download the audience analysis tool. They can also get a free download of The Method, which is an 11-page booklet that has five insider secrets that are compressed out of 35 years of public speaking to help you uh, really master the stage and overcome uh, stage fright. Anybody who would like to order a copy of the book, um, you can go and get it on, you know, barnesandnoble.com or you could support Jeff Bezos. But I would uh, be greatly honored if it is a, a something that you would like to order. If your audience would like a copy of it, go to bookshop.org. And that will connect you with your local retailer. It still gives you the convenience of being able to shop online. I'm sorry it doesn't have a prime free delivery the next day or have a drone drop it off on your house in an hour. But what it does is it supports your local business. Very good. And I am somebody who I can't come on and say, I want to help micro and small businesses and then put a plug in for Jeff Bezos's company. Yeah. I want you to go to bookshop.org support your mom and pop bookstores, your local book retailer, that will put you in touch. And uh, you can get the pre-sale copy that is being published through my publisher, Morgan James. uh, And that will save you a little bit of money, but you'll have to wait till September. Or you can pay uh, the premium and get it right now and get the version that I self-published myself in 2019. Uh, You're welcome to do either or, or both. A lot of people ask me how to order my book. I tell them all the best way to order my book is in bulk. So you go (laughs) ahead and do that. But I would, I would appreciate it. And you don't have to order my book, right? Dana has one. So 
I bet you if you searched on bookshop.org for her title, you can get it there too. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to that vein, if you, your audience, and I would just really like to speak now to the audience of the Charged Up Studio, if you enjoy what this incredible host is doing, hit pause right now. Just pause for a second and go and give it a five-star review because that's the only way this podcast is going to get found. And there is a lot of work that goes into the background. So if you could do me that favor as somebody who needs these type of shows to gain the audience of the host, mm -hmm. please take the time to go and give a five-star review for the show. If you're listening to it now, it'll take two seconds, hit pause, go to whatever platform you're listening to it on, give a five-star review, say why you like the show, and it will go a long way in supporting to make sure that you can hear more of this valuable content. Well, thank you once again. This has been an excellent show, Tyler. I'm really glad you were able to join us. This concludes another episode of Charged Up Studio, where small business owners get charged up for success. Stay tuned next week for another exciting episode. Until then, have a super charged up week. Thank you. And you can always reach us at info at chargedupstudio.com. You can follow us on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and contribute to our platform on Patreon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.